got banned this week in staff meetings for telling bad jokes, so I got to, when I do announcements, that doesn't mean I, when I'm preaching I can't tell jokes. <laughs> uh, great passage this morning. Last week was really the setup for this week, right? Because last week we kind of talked about let us home firm to that, our, that confidence we have, right, and who God is. And so because he knows us, he knows we're all broken, he knows we're all sinful, he knows we all fall short, he knows we all have weaknesses, we lack skills, we lack some intelligence, we lack some common sense at times, and he knows all these things. And the, the best thing about that passage, it says he sympathizes with us in that fact, right? Man, I wish we sympathized with each other in our shortcomings. It would be a whole different place, wouldn't it be? Right? We look at things and we, uh, you know, I, I think that when you look at this passage, it says, let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. I want to first say it's an incredible privilege that we can go before the throne of grace. I mean, when you think about it, to me, prayer, I mean, the, 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 the issue there, he's saying the go before the throne of grace means spiritually in prayer before the Lord, to go before him. And it says with confidence, because prayer is no insignificant thing. It's an emanated, elevated act of worship, dependence. It's a high and wondrous privilege in the old Persian Empire, which Paul would have been very familiar with, he would have known that the highest privilege in the land was the ability to have instant open access to the king. Very few nobles had it. We are children of the king, co-heirs with Christ, and we have access to God any time we have a need. I mean, that's a blessing, right? That should be something we really understand and can appreciate. You and I, the people of God, have a permit, a passport to come before the throne of heaven anytime we will, and we're encouraged to do it with confidence. Isn't that unique? When you think about it, not all the time in Scripture we find that men and women really understood that. Job in Job 23.3 said, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know what he would answer me and understand he would say to me. He knew that if he could go before God that he would understand him and answer him. Isn't that cool? He just didn't know where to find him. Jesus tells us where he can be found, and Jesus tells you he's seated on the throne of grace. The throne signifies what? Royalty, superiority. It's a place of honor. Jesus, our high priest, sits on the throne of grace. He's also our king of kings, and he sits there. And I love what Spurgeon said when we go before the throne. He said, true prayer is an approach of the soul by the Spirit of God to the throne of God. It is not the utterance of words. It is not alone the feeling of desires, but it is the advance of the desires to God, the spiritual approach of our nature towards the Lord our God. To me, I think that we hear as we sing, come before the throne. I mean, think about that whole concept. 
God is saying that anytime you're in need, you can walk right in and come before me, and I'm going to hear you. And what a blessing that is. How many times when you've had a need, have you thought, man, I need to go to God with this? I don't know if we do that all the time. We should, but it's interesting. To me, we should kneel down before our Lord, our Maker, for He's our God, and we are His people of His pastors, the sheep of His hands, the psalmist said. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty and holiness, and fear before Him all the earth. I mean, think about it. If you were called today to go to visit the president, what would you feel like? Intimidated? Concerned? It would send some feeling in you. Now think about this. If you were called today to go before the throne of grace, how would you look at that? To me, the problem with a lot of us is that we don't recognize it, that this is really an invitation. And when an invitation is sent out, it means the person sending the invitation not only wants you to come, but expects you to come. Or they wouldn't send the invitation. So when you really think about what Jesus is saying here, and Paul's saying through, uh, Jesus is saying through Paul, he's saying, hey, listen, I want you to come before my throne, and I expect you to come before my throne. And why should we not? When you think about it, 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 it implies an explicit permission we have access to the king. There's no waiting in line. You don't have to make an appointment, right? You don't have to stand in uh, this long lines waiting again. It's any time you need him. You have instant access to the king of kings, the lord of lords, the ruler and maker of all things. What a better place to be when you have needs. The problem is that we all have this sin consciousness that keeps us from going, Right? We feel unworthy. We feel like, oh, you know, he's not going to listen to me. I just did this, or my life's a mess, or I'm not doing this. I'm imperfect, right? And we think that that's something that precludes us from going before the king. The problem is we just don't understand the verse. If you look at the context of the verse, when you look at the whole passage, which is why I had him read it before, he said, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We all have them. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And that's not to make us feel bad. It's to let us know that, look, he gets it. He gets where you're weak. He gets how people sin. He knows human nature. And you know what? It's not an impediment to come before the throne of grace. Because when it says come with confidence, it's not in you. When he says, when he takes the passage and he says, um, let us, draw, let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. It's not confidence in who you are. It's confidence in who he is and what he's promised and what he's there for. Because we trust God. He doesn't lie. He doesn't change. He's, he's our God who wants us to come before him. And when we do, let me ask you a question. Has anybody here spent time with God when they were done with that engagement, wasn't a better person for it. Anybody? See, the whole point of coming to the throne of grace is God knows that when you spend time face-to-face with him, without the distractions of the world, really focusing on who he is, and maybe what he wants from you, you are going to be a better person for it. You may not be completely different at that moment in time, 
but I believe the spirit of the Holy God that sets upon a person when they're looking to God for answers in life is going to be transformed. It's a process. It takes time, right? We call it sanctification in the Christian life. It's a process that over time, God uses the things in our lives, the people in our lives, the events in our lives to make us look more like his son, Jesus. It's kind of a cool thing when you think about it. But there also comes a process to access the king. It's a throne. Therefore, whenever it's approached, it should always be approached that there's a king sitting on it. So we should have submission. I may have open access to my boss, but I would never think about walking in and not acting in complete submission to his authority over me as an employee. How much so should we do that for the king of kings? We come into the throne of grace. We have to come in with complete submission. We do not pray to God to instruct him as to what he ought to do. Neither for a moment must we presume to dictate the line of divine procedure for what we're about to ask and bring to him. Most of the time, the truth is, we go before the throne of grace with a desired outcome. We go before the throne of grace to tell God what we want him to do in our life in this situation. Isn't that true? We don't go seeking God's providential hand in our lives or for an understanding to how we should pray. We go and saying, here's God, we want you to do this. We sort of want to rub the, the, the golden throne to get what we need out of him for the moment in time we're at. It may be a relationship, it may be money, it may be good fortune, it may be many different things. But no loyal child of God for a moment can imagine that he's to occupy the place of the king on the throne. And so we think we do when we instruct him on how to help us. To me, how indignant is that? To go before the throne of grace to instruct God and how he needs to work in our lives. To me... We must bow before him in complete submission. That's why the Bible tells us that if we pray in accordance to his will, he will hear us from heaven and give us what we ask for because his will is always done. The problem with us is we're not really in tune with his will all the time. To me, we have to humbly come before our God and, and speak, not my will, but yours. And that's a tough thing to say. Because at the end of the day, at our core, we're worried about me, myself, and I. And not him. And what he's trying to do in us and through us. To me, if we constantly remember this, I think we'd be less inclined to push certain issues or agenda before his throne. So we should really be there seeking not my ease or my comfort or my advantage, but asking for which would honor him. And speak with the deepest submission and divine decrees that say, Lord, how should I think? How should I act? What should I do? Where should I go? Without my own agenda involved. I love what C.S. Spurgeon wrote. And he said this. It says, we do not come, as it were, in prayer only to God's Almanary, where he dispenses his favors to the poor, nor do we come in the back door of the house of mercy to receive broken scraps that were more than we deserve. 
eat crumbs that fall from the master's table is more than we could claim or should. But when we pray, we are standing in the palace on the glittering floor of the great king's own reception room, and thus we are placed upon a vantage ground. In prayer we stand where angels bow, where veiled faces. There are even there the cherubim, the seraphim adore the Christ. Before that same self-throne to which our prayers ascend, as we shall come there with stunted requests and narrow, contradicted faith? No. It becomes not a king to be given away pence and groats. He distributes pieces of broad gold. He scatters not as so poor men must, scraps of bread and broken meat, but he makes a feast of fat things, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees well refined. When Alexander's soldier was told to ask what he would, He did not stintly after the nature of his own merits, but he made such a heavy demand that the royal treasurer refused to pay it and put the case to Alexander. And Alexander, in right kingly sort, replied, He knows how great Alexander is. And he asked as from a king, Let him have what he requested. Take heed of imagining that God's thoughts are as our thoughts, and his ways as our ways. Do not bring before God stinted petitions and narrow desires and say, Lord, do according to these. But remember, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are his ways above our ways and his thoughts above our thoughts. And ask, therefore, after a godlike sort, ask for great. For you are before the throne of grace, for then he would do for us exceedingly, abundantly, above what we ask or even can think. Isn't that true? I think sometimes we go before the Lord and we ask so shallow in shallowness and in selfishness and not in regards to the power of the throne, the authority of the throne, the majesty of the king. To me, it says with confidence, it's in confidence of who he is, remembering that he wants us there, and he wants to hear us, and he wants to give us what we ask. To me, when we're sitting before God in all his glory, the throne of greats, our hearts, would they dare mistrust a king? Would they dare mistrust his word? Or should we, in confidence of who he is, ask in accordance to his greatness? I think we ask too little. I think we ask not enough. If God to be glorified in our lives, what are we asking for that requires faith and confidence in God for us to be more like him? I think we pray too little, and I think we pray too light. And I think we don't have enough confidence in he who we pray to. To me, unstaggering faith should be the predominant thought and attitude of our hearts before the mercy seat. It's not a trivial matter. And yet we treat it as such. 
we treat it as a place that we only go when we're in our deepest need. When we come to the end of ourselves and realize we can't do anything about it, we have to have God intercede. To me, it should be our first response, not our last resort. And that's what Paul's trying to tell the church here. Hey, he knows you're fallen. He knows you're weak. He knows what you look like, and he knows what you smell like, and he wants you to come anyways, and he wants you to come with confidence in who he is, a merciful, forgiving, graceful God. Should open the door even wider for us to want to walk in. Paul wrote in Ephesians, says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Don't misread that confidence in us, it's in him. I go before the throne of grace and confidence that he who is going to hear my petition is one who can answer and give me exactly what I need. Knowing he cares for me. Knowing he loves me in spite of who I am and what I've done in life. To me, prayer, coming before the throne of God, it ought to always be conducted with the deepest sincerity and with a spirit that makes everything real. I think that's the other thing that's really difficult for us, is to go before God in transparency, keeping things real. Because he already knows us, right? You can't hide anything from him. We read a few weeks ago that when you divide the word of God, every thought, every action is already before him. And yet sometimes we go thinking, all right, you know, I heard a great quote yesterday. I sent it to my sons. It says, You can't shack up with the devil and expect God to pay the bills. So often we do that, don't we? We live one way, we act another way, and there's this this disruptiveness in doing that that is unsettling for us. It's unsettling for God because whenever we see our kids doing something they shouldn't be doing because we know what the outcome is going to be, our heart aches for them. We're not judging them. We recognize their kids. And they don't know what they don't know and they're doing some things that just get them in trouble and we can see it before it even happens and we try to warn them. Our heart aches for them and we want them to come to us when they find themselves in these places of difficulty and say, Dad, help me. I'm in trouble. Every parent would love to hear that, right? And so does God. And the beauty about it is, hey, come before my throne with confidence and you'll receive what? Mercy, that which we deserve that we don't get, And grace, that we don't even deserve that we get, right? Mercy and grace. How many people in here don't need mercy and grace? We all do, right? All the time. Hebrews 11 says, without faith it is impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So the process is we've got to come before him with humility, sincerity, confidently, focused on him and not on self, and with reverence, right? A lot of times we just do it really nonchalantly when we come before God. It's a passing thought or a passing prayer. But when you go before the throne of grace, it's a place of such importance that we should never treat it lightly. To me, there's often a problem to engage. There's nothing worse than a person who doesn't want help, right? You've seen them all. They've issues in their lives, and they just don't want help. 
They sort of want to continue murmuring and complaining and grumbling about how life is, but they don't want anything to do anything about it, and they don't want anybody to do anything for them, right? It's frustrating. I'm going to tell you a story. Now, I, I, I'm not doing announcements, so I can show this next slide. So when your dad uses uh, you as a sermon illustration and the whole church stares at you, that's the picture there, right? So whenever I use my kids as sermon illustrations, they always go, oh, my gosh. So today he's not here, so I can use him as sermon illustration. So Wes went back to school, and, you know, I never want to make it look like my kids are the best kids in the world. I think they're really good kids. And I think they've really made a lot of changes in their lives. But Wes struggled for a little bit of time. And when he came home from school his first year, I remember he came home and he pulled up and we were pulling everything out of his car. And my wife found um, a marijuana pipe in the car. And so I, I knew they were arguing about something in the car. And then he came to me and I, you know, we, me and Wes had a nice discussion, right? And I took the pipe away. I was cleaning the garage at the time. And I took the pipe and I put it in the manger on a little chair. And we finished our discussion. One of the things we were talking about, I says, hey, Wes, you know, this one is, you know, he's dead. It's no big, everybody, how many have heard this? Everybody's doing it. Oh, come on, it's not that big of a deal. It's not as bad as drinking. I said, listen, one, it's illegal, right? Two, it affects the mind in a way that's not honoring to God, right? And so, you know, as we went through this discussion, I said, three, you get a fine, and you're not, you know, you struggle for money anyways. You really want to throw your money away to fine? He goes, oh, Dad, it's a mystery. It's $25, right? And I said this to him. I looked it up on my phone as we're talking. I said, you know what, in Ohio, it's like a $300 fine, right? And that was the end of the discussion. That was in May. The summer goes on, and he's going to his friend's house in Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, he leaves that week for 4th of July, and I'm out there cleaning the garage again. And all of a sudden, I look over, and the pipe's gone. I left it there. I should have hit it better than that, but I left it there. Wes later on says, man, I thought it was God saying, here's your pipe, and, you know. <laughs> and uh, Wes left, and we were talking. He was saying, how long is it going to take me to get to Cleveland? And I used to drive to Cleveland a lot. I said, it's going to take you about seven hours. He's, oh, no, I can make it less than I said, oh, it's going to take you at least seven hours, right? So I'm watching him on Find My Friends, and it's like nine, ten hours, and I'm wondering, what, what's going on, right? And I'm calling him. He said, oh, we got stuck in traffic or whatever. Long story short, my wife is looking in his bank account, and all of a sudden we see a payment in Perrysburg, Ohio, for $675. Guess what? Wes, on the way to his friend's house, and please don't ever tell him I told this story. Wes on his, <laughs> Wes on his uh, way to his friend's house got pulled over for speeding. So like father, like son, right? And uh, when the cop looked in the car, guess what was sitting right there? There's a little pipe. And he got a ticket for the pipe. And it went on his record. And I always tell my kids all the time, the Bible says, surely your sin will find you. Right? And it did. And here's the, here's the foolish thing, right? I mean, that was foolish enough. But because he didn't want us to know, right? And he didn't want to deal with anything. He covered it up and paid the fine and pleaded guilty. It was all done. But we found out anyways. And I said, Wes, here's the thing. We at least should have got a lawyer and tried to work on, you know, it's your first offense versus having that go on. You're from out of state. You're sort of, you know, going to get what you get. And uh, uh, I said, it is what it is, right? I said, it's on your record now. You know, for him it was no big deal until, this is how God works, at Liberty University, I feel bad saying that's where he's going to school, but he said, Liberty University, 
they just built this new off-campus housing, right, an apartment complex. It was the coolest place you would go to. If I was a kid, I'd want to go stay there, too. And he said, Dad, me and my roommate were going to go try to stay at this place. He says, okay, if you can get an apartment, let me know. He signs up, puts an uh, application, and guess what they do? They reject him because he's got that on his record. I'm thinking, yes. <laughs> because it, oh, it's no big deal, Dad. It's this, all of a sudden, now he realizes it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And now he's got to pay 1200 bucks to get it exonerated, right, and go through this process of getting it off his record. Made him pay the whole thing himself because he needed to learn, right? It was, an, it was a, an expensive lesson for Wes. One he's taken heed and one he's really talked to his brother about, which I'm thankful for. But here's the thing. Don't we do the same thing when we go to God? We hide it for a while sometimes, sometimes longer. Or we try to justify it in our mind that it's okay. I'm okay to, to do this because, you know, it's, you know, not that big of a deal. Everyone's doing it. Or I can, uh, you know, have sex before marriage because I'm going to eventually marry this person, right? We have these ways of telling ourselves all these lies to justify what we know to do that is wrong, right? And then we go before God and we ask him to bless us. It just doesn't work, right? Proverbs says a man ruins his life with his own folly, but yet his heart rages against God. Isn't that true? We do things that we know are not the way God wants us to live, and then we have to suffer the consequences. Who do we get mad at? God. Right? The world's constantly mad at God. Doesn't want to honor him, doesn't want to seek him, doesn't want to know him, but they want to blame him for everything. To me, we've got to recognize something. We are called to come confidently to a throne of grace, not a throne of law, right? Do you see hear that? To a throne of grace. What God is saying, you come to my throne of grace, you're going to get mercy and grace. You're not going to get condemnation, right? In other words, he says, you come to my throne of grace and you're looking, seeking my will. Guess what? I'm going to work with you. I'm going to work in you. I'm going to work through you. I'm going to work around you so that my will is done in your life. Isn't that awesome? That's why when we read Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes, doesn't mean all things are good, but they all work for good. Amen? And that's how we should trust our Lord because we know he's a good God. Look at what Paul says later on in Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, that's why we have confidence because of who Jesus is. By a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He is faithful. Who won't go to a throne to someone who is faithful and loving and kind and one who pursues us? Let us beware of playing at praying. You hear me there? Let us be beware of playing at praying. 
It is insolent towards God. If I'm called upon to pray in public, I sometimes get a little nervous. Because I don't want to use words that are intended to please the ears of the people who are going to hear the prayer in my presence. Because I realize I'm praying to a holy, just, and righteous God who wants to do business with us and wants to change us. I must realize that I'm speaking to God himself regardless of who else is listening. To me, if we look at prayer as we come before the throne of grace, the faults of my prayer will be overlooked and the faults of my life will not keep God from hearing my prayer. Isn't that awesome? That's why that whole passage before, he sympathizes with us. And he's saying it really doesn't matter. The success of my prayer does not depend on how I've been living. It depends on my heart and my attitude towards God as I come to him for maybe my indiscretions and all the other things I've got to bring to him. Because in the end, it's all about him, and it's really not all about me. And that's tough for us. The throne of grace is a place fitted for us where we go to our knees by simple faith to our Savior, for it is His throne, it is His grace, and He is able to dispense grace unto the most guilty of mankind. Blessed be God. Neither the faults of our prayers nor the, the me as a supplicant is what's going to impede the prayer. Isn't that awesome when you think about it? What a privilege it is. The desires of the pleader will be interpreted. If I can't find a word, Scripture tells me that God can search me. David said that, search me, O Lord, and find anything that is offensive to you. Sometimes you've ever prayed and you start thinking about the things that are obvious and you forget about a lot of other things that you probably should confess. It's amazing sometimes when you just get alone with God and you're in that quiet silence how all of a sudden little things start to come up and you start to think about, man, I shouldn't have said that that way and I shouldn't have did this. Lord, help me to, you know, to to do better in these situations. Help me to be a little bit bold in my faith that I may witness others. And I think the problem with the church, we don't have the power of the gospel running through our veins because we don't have the presence at the throne of grace kneeling before God who can change us and use us. I think we need that kind of a revival. I think we need a revival of spirit where we're depending on God and we're showing Him by getting on our knees before Him and saying, Lord, Your will, not mine. To me, He's an infinitely gracious God. And He gives us the desires of our hearts when our desires align with His To me, I think that always there's hope. To me, the throne of grace, it's a word that when you turn it over in your mind and you start to think about it as I've contemplated all week, it gave me nothing but hope. Isaiah 40 says, But those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, and they will run and not go worried. They will walk and not be faint. In other words, when you come before the throne of grace doesn't matter what condition you're in. God's going to give you whatever you need to sustain you. To me, that's awesome when you think about it, isn't it? 
to me, it's a precious thing that we have. And how little do we utilize it to change our lives and the lives of those around us. I want to close with this, and I want you to hear this, because I think it's important. Um, My 30th uh, wedding anniversary is coming up in April. And I was thinking about when I first met my wife. Um, We met five months later. We were engaged, and I fell in love with my wife. And I pursued her in my love for her. And to the point where I realized I thought my love for her consumed her and she reciprocated. So I asked her to marry me. And then she said no. No, I'm just kidding. She said yes. But here's the thing. If she would have said no, because I realized how much I loved her, I would have still pursued her and pursued her and pursued her because I loved her. I wouldn't have sent a friend. I wouldn't have sent my brother. I wouldn't have sent anyone else. I would have pursued her. Now think about it. The God of the Bible says, I love you with an everlasting, unconditional love. And you know what? Even when we're sinful and we're disobedient, that same God, the God of the universe, the God of creation, is pursuing you. Even when you're running from Him, He is pursuing you. He's not sending someone else. He is doing it because He loves you. And he wants you to know him so that you'll understand what true love really is. And he'll, he'll pursue you even though you totally disregard him, disrespect him, and think he's irrelevant. He still pursues. What an awesome God. To me, that's grace. To me, that's mercy. To me, that is amazing. <clears throat> you think about it. We'd all want to go to the throne of grace, but we think he's got bigger things to do today. He's got more important things to deal with than me losing my keys. We're praying for Pastor Mike to stop telling jokes. I had some great Christmas jokes, too, I hate to tell you. But let me tell you this. When we realize how much God loves us, And we realize the power vested in Christ Jesus. All things were made by him and for him and are held together in him. That means every one of us. Every one of us in whatever situation we find ourselves in is held together in Jesus. And all he says to us, hey, look it, I get it. Life can be tough. Life can throw you some curveballs. Sometimes you can make some really stupid decisions. Sometimes you get yourself into a bind. You don't know how to get out of it. I'm going to do it myself because you're embarrassed. Guess what? I know. And I sympathize. Now come confidently in who I am before the throne of grace because I love you with a never-ending love. And I love you unconditionally. And there you'll find mercy you'll find grace. How cool is that? How awesome is that? Let's do that. Lord, as we come before you now, I know in a group this size, Lord, that there are many that are struggling with just issues of their own lives. And Lord, maybe they never realize that the open access they have to your throne of grace, which is the presence of the King, 
the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe. Lord, how often we neglect such a great privilege. How often we think it's not for us because of who we are and what we've done and what we've thought and what we've said. Lord, I'd ask that your spirit would come upon us all this morning and we would recognize our own deceptive thinking and realize, Lord, what a wonderful gift it is, what a wonderful privilege it is that you allow us to come to you in our time of need and we will gain mercy and grace. Look, I know there's some here that have had anger in their life and it's tearing them apart, tearing all those around them apart. There's some, Lord, that have been hurt. And those feelings of hurt, they've bottled up and they just don't know what to do with them and they don't want to give them to anybody. Lord, may this morning they give them to you. May they turn their anger over to you. May they tr- turn their, Lord, just the way they've been thinking and the things they've been doing. May they turn their finances over to you, their relationships over to you, Lord, their, their careers over to you, the situations that they find themselves in that, Lord, we know your word says works for good. And may, Lord, we humble ourselves, even this morning, before your throne of grace, where moose mercy grace abound. Lord, as we go into this Christmas season, may that be the place we spend the most time. Not in the malls, not online shopping, not, Lord, in the festivities and all the celebrations, but may we celebrate the access we have in your son, Jesus. Let us go before you confidently. Go before that throne of grace and find mercy.